We are taking a break from our series in the book of Romans right now. And uh, last week, this week, and next week, we're kind of doing a mini-series on God's sanctifying work at City Bible Church. We thought, you know, as we've gone through Romans, it's just been a lot of beautiful and amazing truths and doctrines. But we thought we'd take a little bit of a break uh, to talk about some specific messages I think would be uh, good for our church to hear. And so, uh, and would sanctify us before we go into a couple of Advent messages um, on the Sunday before Christmas and on Christmas Sunday. So last week we looked at the topic of the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, James chapter 1. And we looked at the role of anger in our lives and how, uh, what is righteous anger, what is sinful anger, and how to replace that with the righteousness of God and believing that um, a lot of our anger is more controllable than we whoa, recognize. And also that... Um, that God's way is the good way, and our lack of uh, restraint on anger is sometimes a lack of faith. Today, we're going to be looking at this topic, which is the peace of God, rejoice, pray, give thanks, and think. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, and think. Uh, We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9, so you go ahead and turn there in a moment, we'll bring up the scripture. We have actually looked at this passage in our Philippians series that we did last spring and last summer. So if you want to go back and listen to the message, uh, it's on the church website when we went through this passage about six months ago. Today is going to be maybe less of a sermon and a little bit more of um, some counseling encouragement to you. It's going to be a time of ministry time as well, where you'll have a response. You have some index cards. I'll give you some instructions on that at the end of the message. And so we're going to go through this, um, and it's kind of part two, I suppose, to the message that we gave uh, last, last June. And so we're going to give some commentary on that that I think will be helpful for where many of us are at and what, we, what the Lord has for us here today. Let's stand together and... Listen to the reading of God's word in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 9. Apostle Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we are here today for the message you have for us, knowing that the peace of God that transcends all understandings will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Lord, we expect your word to renew us. We expect your Holy Spirit to do a healing work through um, our obedience to your word this afternoon as we rejoice, pray, give thanks, and think. And we pray you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to have a seat. Thank you very much. So today the message is on the peace of God, rejoice, pray, give thanks, and think. And in some ways, uh, in the most important ways, we already have the peace of God if you are a believer. The Bible teaches, Romans chapter 5, when we were once enemies of God, we are now reconciled to God, we have peace with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so in the cosmic sense, in the big picture, most important, eternal sense, every believer already has peace with God because of the reconciling work that Christ has done on the cross, his life, death, resurrection. We come to him by faith and his righteousness is both imputed and imparted to us. And God no longer sees us as a sinner. He sees us as a saint. And our citizenship, it says in uh, Philippians chapter 3, Ephesians 2, is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into citizenship in heaven. Through Christ Jesus. So, in a sense, we already have the peace of God in a salvation sense, but on a day to day sense, 
And in, in, in terms of our day-to-day experience, uh, we may not sense the peace of God in our lives day-to-day. And we sense anxiety in our lives from day-to-day. There's a lot to be anxious for. And so it is within that context that the Apostle Paul says um, that we are to rejoice, we are to pray, we are to give thanks, and we are to think that we have a responsibility as Christians, we have a command to obey as Christians, that we don't just pray for the peace of God, God, I pray that I may feel more peaceful today. We actually have our under command that there are certain things we need to actually do. We need to be proactive, we need to be obedient, we need to... Um, to follow through on these things if we expect the day-to-day peace of God to guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. And so that's what really what this message is, is about. Um, Paul talks about thinking uh, in verse 8 on the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Verse 8. Many of us are here and we feel anxiety because we have not been thinking about the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, etc. We have been thinking about the things that are false, dishonorable, unjust, defiling, hateful, slanderous, failing, and cursing. And these things are kind of surrounding our lives. In some sense, maybe you're not fully to blame for that. We live in a world where there's just so much venom and poison and rancor and hatred, gossip, slander that we're all exposed to anytime we go online, anytime we read the news, anytime we look on our social media feeds. It's just filled with um, just words that um, burn the whole forest down, as James would say. In James chapter 3. I mean, it's on my social media Twitter feed the other day. I kind of check it every day. It's actually a, a really uh, more immediate sense of news in a lot of ways than regular uh, websites. And uh, I just had to get away from it because there's so many voices. I, I listen to voices from all different angles of culture, and there was just so much negativity. People just having these fights online. And I just couldn't take anymore. And I just realized I had this image of as I'm listening to so many people uh, speak such words of hatred and foolishness and evil, um, I'm allowing that to come into my eyes, through my ears. Um, and there's a real sense the book of Proverbs says that a gossip is like a, ingesting gossip is like a choice morsel. It goes down to the man's innermost parts, kind of poisons you. And I think that maybe you're in the same place today, right? You might, you're here, and you're anxious. You're anxious about your finances. Uh, you're anxious about your health. You're anxious about your children. What are they being exposed to? How are they going to turn out? You're anxious about your marriage. You're anxious about broken friendships that you have or relationships that you have. Any number of things we carry with us. Um, am, am, I, uh, am I even going to get married one day? Any number of things. We carry this anxiety with us. And it starts to affect our minds in terms of what we tend to focus on. I talked to so many people as a pastor over the years, really. I've had so many people say, Pastor, you don't need to tell me um, you know, what I'm doing wrong. You don't need to tell me what I need to change. I already know. I already beat myself up enough. Um, my past, I can't escape it. Um, and I just think negatively, worst case scenarios about myself, other people, what probably won't happen in my life. And so you don't need to tell me that, Pastor. And not to minimize that. I think that, you know, we want to be sympathetic. We want to be encouraging. But at the same time, um, this message is really, this, this time in God's Word is really a time where we say, let's choose differently. That we are going to choose to obey, to rejoice Pray, give thanks, and think. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, God has given you his Holy Spirit to obey that. And there is a blessing in that for you. Do you believe that? Okay, You should if you're a follower of Christ. And so what we want to do today is I'm going to make some, um, some brief commentary on these four words in this passage. We're not going to be able to go into, into great depth. And then I'm going to ask uh, you to uh, take your index cards, write a response, and uh, we'll do a few things with that. All right, so let's go into the first. Um, verse 4 and verse 5. This word, rejoice. Rejoice. Paul says, verse 4, rejoice. 
in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or in the Greek, it can also, that word reasonableness can also be translated as gentleness. Be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Now, what is Paul talking about here? He's saying that Christians are to be known for their rejoicing. Um, When Paul says rejoice as a Christian, he's not talking about the kind of rejoicing that comes into your life that's fleeting. He's not talking about the kind of rejoicing that comes based on if your day's going well or not. If my day's going well, I will rejoice. If it's not, I will be downcast. He's not talking about that. Um, uh, we had two birthday parties for my kids this week. Ethan was Friday. Darcy was Saturday. They're rejoicing. They get presents. They get celebrated. It's a wonderful time. Um, that's great. They can rejoice the parties. It's nice to be celebrated, but that's not the rejoicing uh, Paul has in mind here. I went to the dentist this week. I thought I was going to have to get one of my teeth uh, teeth yanked out because it was giving me pain. He took an x-ray. He's like, oh, no cavity. You look fine. I was like, I was rejoicing coming out of there, right? Um, It's not that kind of rejoicing that when things go your way, you're very joyful. The type of rejoicing Paul is talking about is also not the type of rejoicing uh, that comes when you see your enemy suffer or go down. Or something bad happened to them. And you're like silently rejoicing that hardship has come upon them. Because they got what they deserve. And so I'm joyful. Even if you had nothing to do with it. Um, you know, we, we silently are joyful. And actually Proverbs 24 says, don't rejoice when your enemy suffers. Um, so very convicting there. What type of rejoicing is Paul talking about here as Christians? He is talking about a rejoicing that comes from a place where we say, um, we remember in verse 4, rejoice how? In the Lord. Verse 5, rejoice, why? Because the Lord is at hand. That we are in the Lord, verse 4. Verse 5, that the Lord is at hand is the source of our rejoicing. The Bible is not saying that uh, you are to rejoice because you're suffering. That's not the general gist of the biblical teaching. Okay, um, some of you have suffered immensely. You know, I've gone through some health suffering over the past year. I know of people who are going through tremendous hardship right now, like life and death suffering, where they could die uh, sooner or later. Um, and. It is not to say that when those things happen and come upon you, that we are to rejoice that that happened to you. That would be sadistic by the Bible. It's not saying that. What it's saying is rejoice because the Lord is at hand amidst the hardship. This is what the apostles did in the New Testament. Um, They rejoiced not because they were being beaten. They rejoiced because they were being counted worthy of suffering for the name. In Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were taken captive by the Sanhedrin and high priests. They were, they were um, beaten, it says. They were arrested. And they were let go, given the command not to preach in Jesus' name. And it says in Acts chapter 5 that they left rejoicing. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So they went about from temple and house to house, not ceasing teaching and preaching Christ is Jesus. They weren't rejoicing because they were suffering physical pain or they were in trouble with the authorities. They were rejoicing because they knew that there was a purpose of what God is at work in their life during the suffering. They were rejoicing because the Lord was at hand. And they, number one, and number two, they were rejoicing because they knew that the Lord was at work amidst their suffering, amidst their anxiety to work all things out for the good of those who love him. Romans chapter 8. The Lord is at hand in your life and my life. Um, How many of us need to hear that here today, right? How many of us are struggling with anxiety for any number of reasons? And sometimes when you come to church, it's not so much this 
mind-blowing theological insight that you walk away from. Sometimes it is. But sometimes what the Lord wants to do is minister to you. The reason why you're here is because you simply need to hear the Lord is at hand in your anxiety. And just hearing that, again, being reminded of that is so important for your faith. You know, I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, just a beautiful passage. Paul, in that chapter, he talks about his own life and he says, I've gone through afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. And then he says this in the 6th chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, I'm sorrowful. I'm a man who is as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And I love that. I, I think that's just this great kind of autobiographical um, commentary uh, that Paul has given to us on how we are to rejoice amidst our sorrows and anxiety and sufferings. Paul says, I'm as, I'm, I'm as a man who is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's honest. I love that honesty. I'm, it's okay for me to be sorrowful. It's okay for me to look at what is distressing my heart and be sorrowful. That's okay, because Paul was sorrowful. But it doesn't take away my joy and my source of rejoicing. Why? It's because Paul remembered the Lord was at hand, and he was doing this in the Lord. Uh, there are other ways you can look at scripture of, of why people rejoice. In Acts chapter 8, um, the man, the Ethiopian eunuch that Paul led to faith rejoiced when he came to faith and was baptized and saw the miracle of Philip being taken away by the Lord. He rejoiced at his salvation, the Ethiopian. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, we see Paul saying that he rejoiced to see faithful brothers in Christ. Colossians 2, Paul said that he rejoiced to see the good order and firmness of the faith of the church at Colossae in Christ. So there's all these different reasons why the apostles rejoiced. They rejoiced when people came to faith. They rejoiced when people were faithfully following Christ. They were sorrowful in their calamities, but it didn't seal their joy. They rejoiced in knowing that they were suffering for being obedient to God. Above all else, they knew that the Lord was with them and he would work out all things for the good for those who loved him. Um, if you're suffering because of your obedience to God, rejoice, for the Lord is at hand. If you see fruit in the faith of other believers, rejoice, because these are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and good things are happening in their lives, and we are to rejoice with them. Um, I think this is a very important thing we need to practice as a church. Are we are joyful people. It doesn't mean that we have to celebrate every bad thing that comes our way. But I'll give you um, I'll give you an insight into Christian maturity. The difference between being a new Christian or a baby Christian and being a mature Christian. The gap between being a, a a Christian who kind of gets swayed by every you know, circumstance, they're joyful, they're not joyful, and it's really a circumstance that defines that, versus the mature Christian who can be sorrowful, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, but still is yet rejoicing. The difference between the two is resolving in your mind that you will say, when I go, like Paul, through afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, etc., I will resolve in my mind that the Lord knows, the Lord sees, the Lord understands, and the Lord will make things right. He will provide for those who seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Let me say that again. Is that enough for you? Because that, that's really the question, isn't it? Jesus said you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations in this world just like me. We know that's going to happen. Some of you, you know that better than I. 
But I think what I've learned, uh, you know, I didn't, I remember telling a pastor about, maybe about 12 years ago, I said, you know, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had a whole, like, host of suffering in my life. Just the way my life played out. And then the last 12 years happened to me, <laughs> which just feels like one long ending, you know, season of suffering after another with all these people dying around me and my own health struggles and, and, and all the spiritual warfare that I experienced. And so now I can feel I can speak to suffering. I can speak to anxiety. And I think it's very true. Uh, I can talk to you all I want about what the Bible says and what to believe. And, um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, you have to resolve in your mind, do I really believe that when anxiety and suffering, afflictions come into my life, when my timetable for my life is different than God's timetable, when I don't see how God can work it out, when my past has so plagued me, it's changed the trajectory of my life, and I will never escape. When you're in that place, okay, and you're trying to follow God faithfully, the key question is, your belief that God sees, He knows, He understands, and He will make things right in the end, will that be enough for you? Because I will tell you something, that is the difference between being a baby Christian and a mature Christian. See, a mature Christian says, you know, I, I really don't know how the Lord's going to work this out. I just know that he knows, he sees, he understands what I'm going through, and he's going to do what's right. I'm just going to place my faith in my Heavenly Father. I don't know what that means for me, but I do know that me doing that is right and good and I can take joy in that. See, the joy that comes into your life that the Bible talks about is not the joy that comes to you when all your prayers get answered or that you are able to avoid the suffering. The joy that the Bible talks about of rejoicing is the type of rejoicing that comes that what? The Lord is at hand no matter what. And you have to decide as a Christian, is that going to be enough for you? Right? Number two. This word being anxious, um, or, or rather uh, pray and give thanks, but because you're anxious, rather. He says, um, he says in verse 6 and verse 7, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he says, Let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious. Now that's an easy one, right? Do not be anxious. Okay, let's close in prayer. He says, um, we, are, we are anxious about any number of things. And I mentioned them uh, briefly before. Now, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, something very similar. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 says, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Okay, we get that. Give thanks in all circumstances. Maybe not for the circumstance itself, but why are we giving thanks in all circumstances? We are doing that because why? The will of God in Christ Jesus is being played out in our lives, whether God allows something into your life or sends it. We all just take turns. That's the reality. We all just take turns. Whose turn is it to go through their season of suffering? Whose turn is it to go through their season of anxiety? Nobody emerges unscathed. It's just a matter of when. And if it's you right now, and if, if no one stays there forever, but someone else's, it's going to be their turn, right? And that's where the body of Christ comes to help each other. And so in anxiety, he says, pray, give thanks. Why? We pray when we're going through anxiety because the burden and the damage and the weight and the evil of the world and the regret and the pain and the shame and the guilt 
that weighs upon our spirit, upon our conscience, is too much for us to bear. God knows that. He says, just pray. First Peter 5. He says, you know, um, humble yourself before the Lord. Um, lift your prayers up to God, and he will exalt you in due time. And there is a spiritual dynamic that happens in prayer where as I come to God, see, I'm a guy who's like, I will fix the problem. I will do everything I can to fix the problem. I'm a fairly intelligent guy. I will fix the problem. And then I get so frustrated. I get so mad when things aren't going my way or I can't control things or I can't control people. Or, you know, again, God's timetable is different than my timetable. And so, and, and then I don't pray. And so I get even more anxious because my heart is more burdened. I say, Lord, I'm just going to lift this up to you. I don't know. I really don't. You do. I don't. And I need your help. And you think about why we should give thanks. Why should we give thanks? Um, I think you understand that more if you didn't grow up in the church. I think you understand that more if you knew what it was like to not have God in your life, to deal with it on your own, or to trust a broken and fallen world to you know, do what's best in your interests. And then you come to realize, no, you know, it's God. I give thanks in all circumstances, not because the circumstance sucks. It's because God is at work. God is with me. He understands. He knows. He sees. And I can trust him that if he either allowed this into my life for some reason or sent it into my life for some reason, there's a reason for this. There's a purpose. And God will make things good in the end if I trust him. That's why we give thanks. That's why we rejoice. It's not necessarily for the suffering circumstance. And, uh, and we pray and we give thanks. Uh, you, you can give thanks for more than you're probably aware of. When I was in seminary, when I was in my 20s, I used to go into the prayer chapel. They had a prayer chapel at my seminary. Really nice uh, kind of outdoor place. It's actually kind of indoor-outdoor. had a garden to it. Uh, had several scriptures and quotes and plaques on the walls, places to sit, stained glass windows, really quiet. There's a running, you know, water fountain there. So it's kind of very serene. I used to go in there um, at least once a week. And I started doing something uh, when I was a seminary student is there's these stones that are on the ground at this uh, prayer garden. There's hundreds of them. I don't know how many, but uh, probably over 300 or so. And uh, I just one day I said, you know, uh, I'm reading these scriptures about giving thanks and, and praying. And so I decided to do this. I, I went to the edge of the prayer garden and I just put my foot on, on the first stone. Now, there's nothing mystical about this, I'm saying. I just did it as a ver- visual reminder. And I said, I am going to, I'm not going to leave this prayer garden until I give thanks for uh, one thing and symbolized by each one of these stones. I give thanks or I'm going to pray for one thing as represented by each one of the stones. And I, so I just put my foot on the first stone. I give thanks for something. You know, God, thank you that I'm in really good health. I just went to the doctor. And then I put my foot on the next stone. I said, Lord, I need to pray for my mother, you know, who's, who's uh, going through a health issue, who's in the hospital. And then I put my fo- foot on the next stone. I go, thank you, Lord, that I have this opportunity in my life to study and to use this where, you know, I, I, uh, I, I have this opportunity to pursue what I really want to do. Okay? And I would do that, uh, not infrequently, at the prayer garden. And I would go through all 300 stones. It would take me about an hour and 15 minutes to do that. And I found 300 things in my life to give thanks for, to God, or to pray for. Now, you may look at your life and go, there's no way. I could, I 300 things, right? But you can. You can. And I think that's one thing, um, you know, I, I think I'm a fairly positive person. I'm a fairly enthusiastic person. I'm a fairly thankful person, even though I've been grumbling a little bit lately or dealing with some issues of anger. Um, but I think that was part of how the Lord sanctified me, you know, during that time in my life. We can give thanks to God for more things that we might want to admit to. And so very important. We have a responsibility to pray and to give thanks 
to rejoice. These are good things. This is the message you need to hear today. We want to be known as joyful people amidst our circumstances, not because of them, but because the Lord is near. We want to pray and lift up the burdens of our hearts. We want to give thanks to God because he is at work in our lives. And number four, he says in verse 8 and verse 9, in verse 8, he, he, he wants us to focus on, he says, whatever, and then he says, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise. He says, think about these things. End of verse 8. Think about these things. Now, Paul is saying to the Philippian church, he's saying to us, we need to think on the things that are true and honorable, etc., uh, because our minds tend not to. Um, Howard used to go to our church. Uh, he's a medical student at uh, uh, Johns Hopkins uh, Medical School. He's actually in his last year. It's hard to believe. It's been almost four years since he left us. Uh, but he sent me a study one time where uh, this was a secular study, and it basically said that um, researchers have found that the natural disposition of the human mind is towards that which is negative and uh, looks at worst-case scenarios and things that are painful and bad. That when the human mind does not have a, a purposeful focus on something that is productive and positive, the natural state of the human mind is downwards, is negative. And that's just a secular thing. And so, in the Christian faith, when Paul is here saying in verse 8, what we are to focus on, the true, honorable, just, pure things, um, there's a purpose for this. Now, what is Paul not saying? What does he not mean when he says, think on the, these, all these positive, good things? He is not saying when he says this, if you think on all these positive, good things... You'll create your reality. You'll attract the things you want into your life. There's a lot of people out there saying that today, aren't they? They say, if you, if you, um, if you want to lose weight, okay, don't look at people who are overweight. Look at people who are skinny, and that will create your reality because you're focusing on the true future that you want. There's books, millions sold on thinking like that. You'll attract this current reality. You will create it. You'll visualize it. It will be yours. That's not what he's saying. Paul is also not saying when he says, focus on the things, think on the things that are right and true and noble and good. He is also not saying, take a positive psychological personality test. Take your results that go by the names of Myers-Briggs. Strength finders, Enneagram, what color is your parachute, disc. I mean, you can name them all. And, and then you take that, which are solely self-reporting, which is completely, you know, dependable. And you're going to take that and they will recast any weakness that you have as a positive strength. Why? Because you need these things to discover the real you that, that is you. And you can focus on all these good things about you, Right? I was, I was made to take one of those tests, and uh, one of the characteristics I came up with was this, uh, was this strength called command. And command is the ability to believe you're totally right when other people say that you're wrong. And this, this strong resolve that you have to just keep the course no matter what, once you have set, you know, you believe in something. And that's a positive because it's called command, right? And I was looking at that. I go, you know, you could easily spin that the other way. It's not command. It's just being stubborn and unteachable. <laughs> but hey, I'll take that positive thing, right? right? You guys, those things are a mess. And some of them are cultic in nature, okay? Which we can get to a different conversation. The point being what? This is not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying focus on what you think your best things are. He's not talking about um, creating your reality. What he is talking about is the things that are good, think about the things that are good in God's eyes. From God's perspective, God has declared things to be pure, 
certain things to be noble, certain things to be excellent. And we are to focus on the things that God has declared as those. And how do we know that what those are? That's why we read the scriptures. And um, Paul modeled this. He modeled for other believers. He modeled for the church. What did it look like to think, verse 8, about the things that are good in God's eyes? What does that look like? In the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he would, look at, he would write to these churches and he would find something positive to say about pretty much every one of them. Uh, in the church at Corinth, you know, he had a lot of bad things to say about them in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he actually commends them for listening to what he said in 1 Corinthians and um, for putting out a sinning brother who was bringing down the church, and he commended them for that. Paul wrote to the Colossian church and the church at Thessalonica. He said, I commend you because of your testimony of faith, hope, and love, and the fruitfulness that you have. In fact, many churches have heard about you, and uh, are wanting to emulate your faith, hope, and love, and, the, and your, the fruitfulness that is happening at your churches being declared throughout the entire world. He wrote this to these churches, but he also commended and focused on the good things that God was doing in other people. In other people. God was doing other things in other people's lives. He, he wrote to the Philippian church about Timothy, uh, and he said, Timothy... Is, uh, has proven his worth. He's a son in the faith who has served me in the gospel. Paul commended Timothy, the good things that he saw in Timothy. He also wrote to the church, again, at Philippi, not just for Timothy, but about a man named Epaphroditus. And in Philippians, it says, Epaphroditus, Paul writes, is a man who is worthy of honor because of his work for Christ. Um, and he almost died for them. And so Paul commends the good things that God was doing in Paphroditus' life. To the church at Colossae, Paul uh, commended a man named Epaphras. And he said, Epaphras has been struggling in prayer for you. And he commended him, the, focusing on the things that are good and true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. To the Roman church, Paul commended uh, a man's mother. This, there was a man named Rufus. How'd you like a name like that? Rufus. And Rufus had a mother, and Rufus's mother, Paul commends in the book of Romans, was like, he said, Rufus's, Rufus's mother was like a mother to me. And he commends that. When, in verse 8, when he says, whatever, 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 whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is whatever. That's a lot of things, right? And I think the thrust of this passage is not so much think about the things that are good in God's eyes, like what a beautiful tree, beautiful sky tonight. Did you see the sky tonight? That was an awesome meal. Loved it. That, 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 now that falls in the category of whatever. I get it, right? But I think the core of it is, yes, that's whatever, and that can count. But I think the real core of what Paul's getting at is, think about the things that are good in God's eyes. Number one, that God is doing in your own character through Christ. How is God changing you to seek after the kingdom of God, to seek after his righteousness? God's doing a good work in everyone here. What? is the good thing God is doing in your own character. We, can all, we all know the negative things, right? But what is the good thing in your own character? And secondly, what is the good thing that Christ is doing in the character of other believers around you? Remember Paul, right? Uh, he's commending the Corinthian, Colossian, Thessalonican church. He's commending Timothy, Epaphroditus, Epaphras, Rufus's mother, and a whole host of others I'm not even mentioning. And he's doing it to the whole church. He's honoring them. Why? Because he is thinking about the things that are good in God's eyes. As a Christian, it's very important that you become, that you excel at the ability to commend the good things that God is doing in other Christians' lives. It is important that you excel at the ability to see the good thing that God is doing in your life. 
because our tendency tends to see the negative about our lives. Our tendency is to see what's wrong with other people, or even if something good is there, we just don't say anything. And Asians are like one of the worst at that, okay? Okay, we, I, I can say this, right? If you're listening to this, this audio recording like 30 years from now, I'm Asian, so I can say this about my people, <laughs> is that we should really be excelling as Christians at being lavish with our praise for what, God is, what we see God is doing in other people's lives. When was the last time you took, you know what? I'm going to call Cor, uh, Cooper. I want you to come up here right now. Cooper, walk up here right now. He doesn't even know what this is. Okay, Cooper, why don't you walk up here? I want you to stand right here. All right. Yes, yes, he's a brave man. He doesn't even know what's going on. You can see the fear, but no, but he's, he's rejoicing. He, he is here. Okay. I should be able to turn to anyone in this room who knows Cooper, who hasn't, you know, like, it's, it's not like the first time you met him. I should turn to anyone in this room and point to you right now. I should be able to call out your name and say, say something nice about this man. And so, oh, wait, well, that was rhetorical, but you can, you can. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. Well, you can tell him during the break, okay? But that's the point, right? It doesn't matter if it's Cooper or not. It could be any one of you. I could literally pull you up here, and I should be able to point at you. And maybe, like, you can't think, like, in that first three seconds, but if I have to give you, like, 30 seconds, you should be able to say something good about what God is doing. You know, I, for you, uh, Cooper, one thing I appreciate about you is, you know, we've gone out to, to dinner a few times, and um, I think earlier on I challenged you to say, I know school is really challenging, and you're giving a lot to it, something you really believe in, um, but I want to encourage you and challenge you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to be here on Sundays, to honor the Lord and worship him. And you, you and Corey have been faithful in that. As I know, you know, you, you uh, do things to meet with other couples, like you met with Mike and Jen the other day, and you're investing in your marriage and, and so forth. And so uh, you're to be commended for that. I know schedule is really hard, but I've seen so many students in the past who when the school gets, they just, school dominates, they completely fall off the face of the earth, and yet you have chosen the better way. And so you're to be commended on that. So, so very good. Thank you, Cooper. All right, so with that said, as we close in verse 9, Paul says, what you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, what? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the key, right? Someone's modeling this. I just modeled that for you. Okay, what you've seen, heard, learned. Put these things into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. It's not just praying for peace. We have to practice these things. Practice rejoicing, not because of the circumstance, because God is at hand. He knows, he sees, he understands, and he will make things right. Is that enough for you? We need to practice holding on to the joy. We need to practice praying and lifting up our anxiety unto the Lord. We need to practice giving thanks for what God has done in our lives, whether it's our salvation or how he is answering our prayers or even just giving thanks for the circumstance you find yourself in because he's with you. And we need to practice thinking on the things that are good in God's eyes. And so therefore, we are the type of church that is very big on follow me as I follow Christ. And so here is where kind of the ministry time comes in. Okay, um, I want you to take the card. There's two cards in front of you, a blue card, a red card. There's a pen on your, on your chair. If it's not there, there's pens all over the place. I want you to take out these two cards, or as long as they're two different colors, it doesn't matter, as long as you have two cards. Um, take these two cards, okay? Um, everyone got one. Everyone should have a pen on you. If you don't, there's some in the empty chairs. And this is what I want you to do is I want you to write down four words, okay? Um, let's go to, perfect. These are the four words I want you to write. Want you to write. Um, on the first side at the top, I want you to just word, write the word rejoice. Just write rejoice on there, that's it. Rejoice. I want you to turn the card over. On the back side, I want you to write the word pray. Same card, rejoice on one side, Pray on the other. Next card, I want you to write the word, give thanks. 
And then on the back, I want you to write the word think. Pretty straightforward. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to model this for you. You're going to do it. Rejoice. I wrote this on this card. I know you can't read it. Um, what, what did I write on here? I wrote simply, the Lord knows. He sees. And he's going to rightly judge. I had a situation in mind in my, in my head. It's too long. I'm not going to explain it. The Lord knows. He sees. He's going to rightly judge. And I'm going to rejoice in that. That's all I need. That's all I need to know. On the back of this, I, I wrote, um, uh, actually, I could write, I, I, I wrote pray for, actually, you should write pray and anxious. What, 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 what do I need to pray about that makes me anxious? And I wrote money, enemies, people who are not walking with the Lord. This is one I, I need to pray for that makes me anxious. Okay, I said pray, but should be pray for what makes you anxious. Next card I wrote on this word, give thanks. I wrote, I give thanks for Lorraine, for my children, for the opportunity that God has given to me to be able to teach the word of God. Um, I give thanks because God has given me the grace by revealing to me I was dealing with some issues of anger in my life that I didn't realize were anger. And so that's, I give thanks to God for that. And um, think. Think on the things that are right in God's eyes. I wrote down on my card the word patience. Because God has been replacing some of my anger with patience. And I want to focus on the good work that God has been doing by um, seeing me become a more patient person. And the last thing I wrote on here was humor, wisdom, and gentle spirit. I actually um, talked to someone today um, in between services, and I commended them. I said, you know what I really appreciate about you is your sense of humor, but also the wisdom and your gentleness of spirit, and it's just a real blessing to this congregation. I told them that. Remember, uh, focusing on things that are good, and God is doing in your character as well as others and letting them know that. So what, what you do is this. I want you to take a moment. I want you to fill out your own card. You can do one, two, three, or four. I did all four. You don't have to do all four. But I want you to do at least one. Choose the think, give thanks, pray about what is making you anxious, or rejoice. I want you to do that. At least one card. You can do more. You can just write a few words if you want. You can write a sentence. You can write a prayer. It's your choice. We're going to give this um, a couple minutes for you to do. And, um, and then I'm going to ask you to do something with it. So let's take uh, a few brief moments about that. And if you choose think, um, I, want you to, I want you to think about someone maybe in this room right now that you can commend for what God is doing in their life um, as one of your options, as one option for to fill that out. Okay. We're going to do something different. We hardly ever do this, but we're going to do it right now. Okay. I'm going to give this three minutes. Three minutes. I'm actually going to time this. I want you to stand up. And I want you to share at least one of what you wrote on one of the cards. It's your choice with someone else. And secondly, if you chose think and you wrote you know, something to commend, focus on something good that God is doing in someone else's life in this room, I want you to go up to that person and tell them, like I did with that other person in between services. Tell them, hey, I just want you to know this is a good thing I see God in doing in your life, and it so encourages me. I just wanted you to know that and bless them in that way. It doesn't have to be that one. You can share what you're rejoicing in the Lord amidst difficult terms, what you're praying, what you're, you know, et cetera, you can choose. We're all going to do this right now. We're going to stand up. I'm going to give this three minutes. If you are talking to one person, make sure they have an opportunity to share too. Okay, so let's do this. And I'm going to begin this now. I want everyone to stand up, choose a person to share with. It's your choice. As we close, I hope that was a blessing to you. Uh, three minutes, not very adequate time, but... Um, this scripture in verse 9 says what you have, 
you know, seen and heard and learned, exemplified in me, practice these things. And that's not just something that we teach and you learn. That's something we're supposed to practice. And so this three-minute exercise uh, hopefully was a blessing to you. This is what Christians should be. We rejoice. We pray in our anxiety. We give thanks to God in all circumstances because he is at hand. And we think on the good things that God is doing in our character and in the lives of other believers because uh, that is such a contrast to the world around us, isn't it? And so as we close now, as we go into communion, um, I want to invite you, the communion elements are at the table. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, why don't you get out of your seats, go ahead and get the communion elements. You can bring it back to your seats, and then we will close in communion and worship. So go ahead and, uh, go ahead and get your communion elements. As we receive the communion elements, this is a time when believers remember the Lord's atoning work on the cross for our sins to bring us to God. It is a time when we remember that Christ is risen from the dead. He lives in our hearts through faith. And as we do that, any time we examine ourselves before God, any time we remember the Lord, the Lord is at work in your life. This is not just a ritual. And so here... The account in Luke 24, it says, When Jesus was at table with them, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. As we receive the communion elements, it is our prayer that the Lord's blessing would be upon this time. is our prayer that he would open up our eyes to recognize him and his work in our life and in the life of the church. We receive communion together, not just as a declaration of what God has done in our life, but also of the community of people he has brought together that you are a part of in the church through his broken body and shed blood. And so, take a moment to examine your need for Christ. When you're ready, let's go ahead and receive the bread, symbolizing the broken body of Christ. I'll receive the juice, representing the shed blood of Christ. Amen and amen.